Hey church, welcome to Frontline Community Church Podcast. My name is Cody Mahaffey and I'm the connections and group pastor here at Frontline in Grand Rapids, Michigan. So our mission here is simple, to see zero people unchanged by Jesus. So whether you've been following Jesus your whole life or your journey has just begun, we hope that this message will help draw you near to the person of Jesus. Be challenged and encouraged by his word and be moved to action. We hope these next few moments are a blessing to you and equip you to see who God really is and who you really are in him. Well, hey, good morning, Frontline. It's just good to see all of you in the room. It's good to have you if you're joining and watching online. Uh, today we're diving into the next part of our series, uh, which is Gospel Good News for Who. And today we're talking about broken bodies. So on a scale of one to 10, how much do you love your body in its current state? How much do you love it? Even first service, we got a couple chuckles or a couple, you know, maybe it's nervous laughter. It's like, oh, why are we talking about bodies at church? Like this, this is going to be weird, uncomfortable. It's not meant to create awkwardness or shame or guilt or anything like that. Uh, but there, there's often a disconnect between our hearts in church, right? And, and our hearts that, that Jesus died on the cross for, and then our relationship to our bodies. You know, we, we feel like, like Jesus offers redemption and hope and forgiveness for our souls and our hearts, but not always for our bodies. So I, I wanted to share a bunch of stuff with you, stuff that usually we keep private, but I, I'm going to bring it out to kind of use it as an illustration. So here's TMI. Okay. This is TMI on David. Uh, I am six foot five. You're like, duh, saw that. I'm 270. I like to tell people I'm dense, right? There's a lot more than the eye can see. 270. I wear a 2XL shirt, a 42 waist. My BMI is considered a 31.4, which is obese. If you were wondering, it's on that part of the BMI scale. So here, Here's the thing. It's not because I don't try. Uh, I was born big. I'm just big. I've always been big. Biggest kid in class. Biggest kid on the football team. And uh, those of you that have kids, you know that sometimes your kids are painfully honest. You know what I'm talking about? So when you have a four-year-old that loves to tell the truth, that sucks for you. So <laughs> Judah drew a picture of me while I was gone, and he gave it to Shannon, and he highlighted two features of mine. He said, I drew dad with a big belly and big knees. So my knees stick out to my four-year-old, and he goes, yeah, he looks like Peppa Pig's dad who looks like this. This was the, this was the drawing my son was inspired by. He's like, that looks like my dad. And here's the thing. I told you, I try, okay? But I'm also a child of the Book It Pizza Hut program, if you guys remember that, where you are rewarded for reading books with personal pan pizzas. So I got a master's degree. That's how much I was motivated. I just kept eating and reading, eating and reading, eating and reading, and it has created this. We're talking about bodies today to fix kind of that gap or that connect between maybe how we see ourselves, maybe how we experience ourselves, how we experience bodily brokenness in the world. Sometimes it's just due to like the frailty of our bodies, which we'll talk about. Sometimes it's the failure that we've done, that we've, decisions we've made, sins we've done or done to ourselves or others. Uh, but the third category is also uh, fallenness, just brokenness that we experience in our bodies as a result. So one of the biggest feelings that we all feel as soon as we start talking about bodies is shame. It's one of the first feelings that kind of rises up as soon as you start sharing information or things that, that often we would rather prefer to keep private. Shame is this really interesting emotion that tends to creep in. So why, why are we talking about that today? Uh, it's because this, we all experience brokenness on some level. 
not just heartbrokenness, right? Not, not just soul, you know, on the inside, but, but we all experience some sort of bodily brokenness. And a lie that we believe is the gospel is for me and my heart, but not for my body. There's a, a truth of scripture. This is the whole premise of this morning. It's this, God doesn't discard broken bodies like so many of us would be tempted to do. So many of us just want to throw it aside or discard it or discount it or, or ignore it or justify it, whatever. Whatever brokenness we encounter, God doesn't discard broken bodies. He actually redeems them. So here's the thing. I don't want to pretend like I know your story. I don't want to pretend like I know what you're carrying in or what this makes you think of or what your shame that you might feel or experience is attached to. I don't want to pretend like I know, but I, I've heard a lot of stories here at Frontline. I know what a lot of you came in carrying, and I wanted to highlight some of those. So, so maybe this, maybe you came in today and you have cancer or you're fighting a disease that many people don't see. Maybe you have something that's just broken inside of you that, that nobody else really knows around you, but you, you experience it on a regular basis. Some of you have a diagnosis that changed your life significantly. Some of you have a secret same-sex attraction that nobody knows. You've maintained that for decades. Some of you, as you walk in today, have struggled with gender identity. Maybe some of you have a closeted addiction. Maybe you've had an abortion. You've hurt yourselves. Maybe you've been abused or raped or touched inappropriately. What we know is that oftentimes in church, we feel like this is not a safe space to process through that. I think what so many of us learn is like, man, if that's me or if that's my story, stuff it, hide it, discard it, don't talk about it ever to anybody. And yet here's the, the thing, the truth that we want to talk about is God wants to bring redemption to those areas of our lives, and he does so in the context of a local church. He does it with a, a group of people that are earnestly seeking him because God doesn't just discard brokenness. He doesn't discard sin. He doesn't discard wrongdoing or rebellion. What God does is he actually redeems it. It's for that reason we're, we're going to dive into his story. It's in John chapter 4. So if you have a Bible, if you want to read with us or open up your phone, we'll have words on the screen for you. But in John chapter 4, Jesus interacts with a woman who carries some pretty deep brokenness, but it illustrates God's posture towards brokenness in our world. So let's read it. Let's check it out. John chapter 4. <clears throat> Starts like this in verse six. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. So Jesus is traveling from one place to another. He kind of took a place that most Jews would have avoided because it was in Samaritan territory. <coughs> so he goes to this well. It's Jacob's well. Jesus sits down, and the thing I want to highlight to you twofold here one is this Jesus was tired. <coughs> It was his body, his broken, you know, broken or frail body that led to a need for a break, for a rest. So he stops by a well to get a drink of water. It's about noon. And it says, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? Simple question, right? Simple ask. Would you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. But then keep reading. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God 
And who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water, right, referring to the well, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but, for, but whoever drinks the water that I give them will never thirst Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The first facet that we're talking about today for brokenness or in regards to broken bodies is this. We are broken by our own frailty. So what, what draws the woman to the well to begin with? What draws her there? What's interesting to note that many of us might miss, the fact that John highlights she was there at noon was super unusual. It was not normal for a woman to show up by herself at that time of day to draw water. It was super, it, it, it stuck out, right? If you're a Jew in the time of like, like reading this, that sticks out as interesting or off or doesn't fit because most women who would go to draw water would go in the morning. It'd be the first part of the day. They would draw water together and then they would go back. It was safe there. There was community there. That's where they drew it together. Like the, it, it was just a communal thing about how they got needs met. But the fact that she showed up around noon tells us she needed the water. We don't know what necessarily drove her. Maybe it was fitting in with other people. Maybe, maybe she, she was ashamed to walk with a group of people. There, there might be some layers there, but here's what we do know. She was thirsty. She was thirsty. In fact, she was driven by this idea that Jesus could provide a type of water that would prevent her from having to come back to this well over and over and over again. Her body had a physical, tangible need, and it was thirst. It was for water. It drove her to this place. Here's what's funny about our bodies is our bodies have needs, but our bodies have needs many times too because they break. There's things that just happen that create emergencies in us. We get sick or we get a diagnosis, or something, something happens. Maybe we break a bone, or maybe we get sick with some sort of illness or diagnosed with a disease. The brokenness <clears throat> or the sickness often comes from the frailty of just our bodies. I, I think about, if you've ever seen the movie National Treasure, uh, they have this line in the first movie, and, and it was a, a riddle, and the riddle was the debt that all men pay. And the answer was death. There, there is a death or decay that exists in the world that leads to an unraveling of the human body. That it's almost like it, it's busting at the seams. But Jesus picks up on what's driving this woman to the well. It's not just her physical need, but there's something deeper. Jesus is picking up on like the, the water here is a metaphor. So as he talks about the water, uh, he's getting at here like this woman is longing for something. So she's thirsty. So again, remember, we're in the middle of the desert. There's sand everywhere. There's rocks everywhere. It's very arid. She needs something. And the need inside of her drove her to do something that was unusual. But so this is why I say when Jesus says, you know, the, the water's a metaphor, there's a layer deeper. So the next one is this. Let's keep reading. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. 
He told her, go call your husband and then come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Can you imagine the, the smile on Jesus' face maybe as he said this? Right, if you have kids, maybe you've said this before too. It's like, if your child tells you something that's not quite the full truth, you kind of just go, yeah, what you've said is true. You left out a couple details though. You know what I'm talking about? What would this feel like if you're the woman that Jesus just addressed? Here's, here's what's happened, right? She's at the well, she's drawing water, she meets a stranger. The stranger violates the cultural rules that he's not supposed to. So they're talking, they're interacting, and then that stranger brings up to you your past. The thing that you're most ashamed of, the thing that you carry guilt for, the thing that's broken or failed or sinful in your life, this total stranger brings it up to you and then offers it to you and he says, yep, what you've just said is true. What's the feeling that you would feel? I'll tell you what I would feel in a heartbeat. Shame. Total shame. Embarrassment. Guilt. It's like, this is the thing. She obviously didn't want to go there. She obviously didn't want to have this conversation. But catch this. What Jesus is doing is Jesus is inviting her into a conversation, not to bring a quenching of her thirst physically, but a quenching of her thirst spiritually. The desert that she lived in, we, we don't know what that was like relationally. We, we don't know what led her to have five husbands and then a man that she's with now that she hasn't married. You know, is it security that she's after? Is it significance? Is it companionship? Safety? Is it value? Is it sex? Like, what, what is it that is driving this woman that, that she responds in a relational sort of way with other men, like, or as if she was thirsty for water? There's almost this desperation. Jesus, as he brings it up, it's not to shame her. It's not to guilt her. It's not to heap on, right, this paralyzing feeling of just despair. Jesus' deep desire is not to destroy her or to discard her. Jesus' desire is to destroy the shame that she's been carrying. That's why he brings it up. That's why he addresses it. Brene Brown, if you've heard of her, she's an author and college professor. She's just a great thinker, but she says this. She says, shame cannot survive being spoken. Here's what Jesus did in this interaction with the woman at the well. Jesus says the thing that nobody else would say. He says the thing that she wouldn't say. He goes to the place that she doesn't want to go or the place that the, the other men or other women or other people in the village or the towns or the leaders or the religious elite, whatever it is, Jesus says the stuff that everybody feels and everybody experiences, but nobody wants to say out loud. But what Brene Brown is saying, it's the same reason Jesus did it is because when you bring it out into the light, it actually loses its power. Jesus' desire for this woman is to set her free. His desire is to lead her to a place of redemption, not just for her body, but for her life, for her soul, for her heart. Jesus sees the thirst that she carries 
into. He wasn't trying to destroy her. He was trying to destroy her shame. Here's the problem. We often look for peace and wholeness and freedom in things or places or people that overpromise and then underdeliver. That that's kind of our way of life. We go thing to thing, person to person, place to place, job to job, relationship, relationship. Doesn't matter what it is, we we it's like we're longing to satisfy the thirst that we have become so accustomed to feeling, but we chase it in the wrong places. And Jesus, as he highlights it, or as he brings it up in this woman's life, he doesn't just do it for her, but he uses this whole interaction with her as a way of speaking to us as well, saying, you don't have to live with your shame and with your guilt and with the crippling, paralyzing weight that comes with it. Jesus is inviting us to step in, not so that we will discard it or discount it, but that we could actually experience the freedom and the hope and the healing and the redemption that only he can offer. It's often in our failure that the driving emotion is shame. And that's the emotion that Jesus goes after. It's funny, it's even in the book of Genesis. If you look at Adam and Eve in Genesis, when they first sinned, right? First sin ever recorded, they eat from the tree that God told them not to eat. It says their eyes were open and they saw that they were naked. Shame made it to chapter four of the entire Bible. It's been a part of us since the beginning, but here's what it says. You know, God was walking through the garden and he said, who told you you were naked? He sees the shame that Adam and Eve feel. Here's what God did. He provided a covering for them. They, they were sewing stuff together, trying to fix it and cover up and hide. And, and God says, I'll do that. I'll cover you. Jesus doesn't confront this woman in front of a whole crowd or a whole town of people, even his disciples. Did you catch that they're all gone? They're all buying food. It's just Jesus and the woman. He wants to bring healing to her, not shame her, not guilt her, but provide healing for her in the way that only he can. But then let's see how the, the interaction closes. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. <laughs> Duh. Right? She's sitting there going, how do you know this? You, you know a ton of stuff about me. You know my past. You know my history. You even know all the... You know, what she doesn't say is tell me all their names. Prove it. She goes, yep, you got all five plus the six. Like, I believe you. I see you're a prophet. I see you're from the Lord. She says, our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Notice, she deflects. She's confronted with brokenness deep within her, shame deep within her, and her first reaction is the same thing we all do, deflect. Not me. This is about Jews and Gentiles. This is about culture. This is about movement. This is about people groups and nations. But Jesus doesn't take the bait. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, the time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers that the Father seeks. 
God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. The third piece that we're talking about for brokenness today as we talk about broken bodies is we are broken by the world's fallenness. What every one of us does or is tempted to do when we feel shame or brokenness, when we, when we feel sin or guilt, when we experience rebellion, the same thing that we often do is we look outside. We go, this is the way that culture is, or this is the way the world is, or this is the way people are, or this is just the times that have changed. What we often do is deflect or point outward or point away. We try to escape the shame that starts creeping in, that we start feeling, but Jesus brings it right back. And he goes, stop waiting for something else to come. Stop chasing something else. Stop expecting your life circumstances to change themselves. The one that is talking to you, the one that's inviting you, the one that's that's beckoning you to move closer right in front of you. I am the Messiah. I'm the one that can quench your thirst. I'm the one that can bring healing. I'm the one that can bring freedom. I'm the one that can bring restoration. I'm the one that can bring hope. It's only through me. I am the one that can satisfy your thirst that you've been craving and that you've been longing and chasing all these other things that leave you thirstier and thirstier and thirstier. It's me. I mean, let's, let's take a second here and just talk our culture or our world or the, or the world that many of us are familiar with that we live in. If we talk about fallenness, I, I would say this. Sin is more than just bad things that we've done. It's a curse and brokenness and sin that flows through all of us in different ways. So here, here's some of those right now. You may not know this. Uh, but there, there was a survey done not too long ago. 50,000 adults here in the U.S. were surveyed. And of those, 60% of women thought they were too heavy. 30% reported being too uncomfortable in a swimsuit. And 20% thought that they were unattractive. That just makes me sad. I mean, it, it continues here. 33% of health club users, so this is men and women, had a significant sign of body dysmorphia, which means something of their body is wrong, broken, not right, don't like it, it's just off. 33% of them have significant signs of body dysmorphia with 70% of those having an eating disorder of some kind. 25% increase worldwide in depression and anxiety. Which makes sense, right? I mean, you look at the world, you look at what we went through, COVID and pandemic and shutdowns. So there's a 25% increase. Put faces to that. If you talk to four people between here and your car, one of them had an increase in depression or anxiety that they're just living with right now. The average teen right now has the same anxiety as a psych patient in the 1950s. And the, you guys have heard of FOMO, so the fear of messing uh, or the fear of missing out. Uh, what they're dealing with, what this generation's struggling through right now is FOMU, which is the fear of messing up. And it's crippling. The anxiety is just crippling. Uh, in Gen Z right now, less than 48% identify as totally heterosexual. So less than half. 
Over the last 10 years in teens, there has been a 1,500% increase in men with gender dysphoria and identity and a 5,000% increase in women. And the last one here is the LGBTQ youth are four to six times more likely to be suicidal. This is just a quick snapshot of the fallenness that our world is dealing with. The shame that comes with that, the guilt that comes with that, the secrets that come with that, the hiding that comes with that, the isolation that comes with that. Like many of you may have experienced that or feel that or identify with some of it, part of it, all of it, or you have people in your home or people that you love in your life that are dealing with something like that. Here's what I want you to hear. Fallenness affects our relationship with God, our relationship with other people, and our relationship with ourselves. It's inescapable. It's why we carved out time today in this series just to talk about our bodies. It's just heavy. You know, the feeling, of, if we feel shame for our failure, the feeling that we often feel in fallenness is despair or hopelessness or defeat. So here's what I, I would tell you. Uh, I get all three. I, I experience all three. I live all three. I mean, the frailty, just as I was thinking back uh, on the last year, I've been sick a couple times pretty majorly, just with different things where it was just, man, it just feels like it wrecked my body. It brought me to this place of just weakness. It reminded me that like, man, you know, life is so fragile. Right? It's so frail. Just even sicknesses, often, often we don't know where we got it from or we don't know how we got sick or we don't know what's going on inside of us, but we feel the effects of the frailty of our bodies. And the older we get, the more we feel it and the more we understand it. There, there's a frailty that we feel. I also have this thing called asthma, right? I, I had it as a young kid. I would wheeze a lot when I ran, which is why I hated running, but I used it, right, to my benefit, like so many of us would do. So at gym class, I'd be like, I can't do suicides because I have asthma. And it worked super well until I had a gym teacher with asthma. <laughs> and she rode me harder than everyone else because she's like, you're using this as a crutch. I intend to break that in you. It's like the brokenness or the frailty of our bodies, we, we all get it in some way or another. Failure, how much time do you have? I mean, I, I can look at my life and look at the thousand different ways that I fail on a regular basis. Man, food, weight, sexual sin, shame. I mean, shame was often used as a weapon so much against me in my own life. Uh, I was the kid that would go into the locker room. I remember we moved uh, to Chicago, and so I changed schools, and, and I had gut rot because I, I walked in and I realized this school actually changed for gym class. So all the, all the boys would go in the boys' locker room and they would change their clothes and I would get in there and because shame was so heavy in my life, I would take my clothes, I would walk over into the bathroom stall, I would close it and I would change in the stall while everybody else changed out there. I just didn't want to be seen. I didn't want to be noticed. I didn't, I didn't want the things that I, I kept hidden, right, on purpose. I, I didn't want people to see that because shame was so heavy. 
I remember when I first gave my life to the Lord, I went to a, to a conference and I was in college and, you know, this pastor preached and he, he talked about freedom and he talked about resurrection, talked about how, how death can lead to life through the person of Jesus. And when I wanted, I finally gave my life to the Lord. I gave it to him. And the next thing that I felt, it was like I was caring was, okay, so what do I do with this shame? I, I had carried, uh, I'd struggled with pornography leading up to that and I had told nobody. Not one soul in the world knew. And I remember I was dealing with this and wrestling with this. And, and finally, it was like, I can't do this anymore. That, that Brene Brown quote, it, it was like, I, I had to live that out. And I grabbed three of my best friends in college at the time. We went up uh, into a classroom at the college. This is classic guy conversation. I brought them all into the room. I gathered them around. I went, guys, I got something really serious I got to tell you. I gave my life to the Lord. But I got this thing that's been a secret. I need help. I want freedom. I want hope. I want redemption. So you just have to know, here's something that I've struggled with. And, and guy number one goes, me too. Guy number two says, me too. Guy number three says, me too. And we all kind of just look at each other awkwardly. And we're like, okay, I think we're done. And we just walked out. <laughs> we were done. It was like, how do we get away from this? Here's, here's what I want you to hear. That opened the door for all of us to get freedom, to get healing, to get hope, to get help, to get accountability partners. It, it was like when you brought out the things that everybody else keeps a secret, it opens the door for forgiveness and grace and redemption to actually take place. If we talk about fallenness, man, I'm reminded of it every time I just look at my family. Extended family, I got a lot of family that uh, are believers, they follow Jesus, I got a lot of family that don't. Things that I've experienced in my extended family, early death, divorce, addictions, mental health, attempted suicide, etc. I'm just reminded of it, just like all of you are, of the fallenness and brokenness and pain and sin and rebellion of the world and the consequences that it brings about. But God doesn't discard broken bodies. He doesn't toss them aside. He doesn't throw them out. He doesn't shame us. He actually moves towards the brokenness so that he can redeem them. He can do that for you. Whatever it is you're carrying, whatever it is you're holding on to, whatever it is that's a secret, whatever it is that has felt crippling to you, Jesus gives you an opportunity, just like the woman at the well, to come to him. That all these other things that you chase that leave you thirstier and thirstier and thirstier, he says, come to me and I'll quench it. I'll fix it. I will satisfy you in the deepest way. So don't miss this. 1 Corinthians 6, 19, Paul is writing this and he says, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? There's a redeeming aspect of this whole thing here. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. God lives within you, who is in you whom you have received from God, you are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. If I had a $100 bill up here, the value of it is $100. I could rip it, squeeze it, crinkle it, tear it, stain it. I, I could mangle this thing almost to the point that it's unrecognizable, but its value inherently does not change. This is the message that God wants to give you. Your value does not change. 
no matter the shame, no matter the guilt, no matter the history, no matter the failure or the fallenness or the frailty, no matter what it is, your value does not change. When Jesus went to the cross, he, he said, you're worth it. You are worth the sacrifice. You are worth the pain. You are worth the shame. You are worth all of it. I mean, think about it. When Jesus went to the cross, when he hung there, it was the frailty of his body that was put on display. He literally died in front of a group of onlookers. They watched him take his last breath. It was the frailty of the human condition that was highlighted. If you want to talk failure, it wasn't his failure that led him to the cross. It was our failure. It was our sin. It was our shame. It was our guilt. Jesus says, you can't fix you, but I can and so he goes to the cross and he hangs on the cross and it was the, the fallenness of the world, right? The, the whole sky became dark as a reminder that death is reigning right now, but death doesn't get to stay on that throne. Jesus kicked death off. That when Jesus resurrected three days later, he defeated death, he defeated shame, he defeated brokenness, he defeated sin, he defeated all of it to give us the opportunity to experience wholeness and freedom and redemption and life in him. That's why he did it. So some of you today, I mean, I think about even baptism. We celebrated baptism last week and I've, I've even heard a couple different stories or versions of, man, I wanted to take that step. I wanted to follow Jesus. I wanted to be obedient to him, but, but I got too much stuff that's broken. I've got too much shame or I've got too much guilt or I've got too much past that I don't know. I, I haven't fixed that yet. And so when I fix that, then I'll, I'll be able to take the next step. That's not the message of the gospel. The gospel is good news for broken bodies for bodies that aren't fixed yet, aren't healed yet, aren't resolved yet, aren't free yet. So maybe, maybe it's you. Maybe as you're sitting in here right now, you, you say, I haven't actually surrendered my life to Jesus. I haven't given him control. I haven't submitted to him. What's stopping you from doing that today? What's stopping you from saying, God, here's what I bring to the equation. I bring frailty. I'm a roller coaster that's usually just trending down or, or I bring failure. There's a whole history of just bad choices and bad experience. Maybe it's fallenness. The things I've experienced in this world, God, I don't bring anything positive to this equation. And Jesus says, perfect, I bring that. That in me, you experience hope. In me, you experience redemption. So maybe today that's you. Maybe you need to take that step and, and say, okay, God, I give that to you. I surrender it to you, just like the woman at the well. I, I just surrender it. Because there's an invitation on the table for you. Here's what I so desperately want for our church. I want our church to be a place where broken bodies feel like they belong. I want our church to be a place where broken bodies come for healing, for hope, for peace, for freedom, for redemption. I want this church to be a place because that's the church that Jesus built. It wasn't for those that have it all put together and perfect and no need for a savior. Jesus established his church for people who needed one, like their lives depended on it. I want that to be this church. I want that to be here at Frontline. So as we close, here's just this last question I want to leave you with. It's where am I broken and in need of healing? 
Would you carry in today that you're not meant to carry out of here? Would you bring in today that was a secret that, that maybe you could find healing by just sharing that or confessing that or offering it up to the Lord? Where, what is it in your life that's just not good, not right, not whole, not resolved, that you can surrender to the person of Jesus so that he can bring hope and freedom like no one else? Let's pray together. God, we just come before you right now and we bring our frailty. We bring our sin. We bring our shame. We just bring all the stuff that we don't want anybody else to know or we don't want to talk about or what we, we want to just act like it doesn't exist. And yet you take it and just like the cross, just like the grave, God, you can defeat it that you can bring life out of death. And so I, I pray for everybody in this room. I pray for everybody watching and listening online. I pray for the marriages right now that are hurting and struggling. I, I pray for the relationships with kids that aren't going well. I, I pray for the closeted addictions or, or the broken pasts or the abuse that has happened or the shame that is carried. I, I pray for the temptations that are not from you, God. I just lift all of that up just for our brothers and sisters in this room, for our community and for our world. World. Jesus, it's only in you that we find hope and freedom and redemption. And we ask that you would just meet us, that you would bring that redemption to the place of deepest brokenness in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' precious and powerful and mighty name and all God's people said together, amen. We hope this message encouraged you to know who God is and who you are in him. If you wanna take a next step, visit frontlinegr.com slash next. We look forward to connecting with you there and we'll see you back here next week.